This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. This week we have the NBC News Report of August 12th, 1941, offering an update on the war in Europe. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes and offering your financial support. Your donations help us to continue to produce the podcast. And thanks to those of you who have already donated. So thanks for listening. Enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. This is the NBC Newsroom in New York, and we are now ready to bring you reports from European capitals. Our own staff members are ready in England and Germany to tell you what they have seen and heard in the last few hours. And for the broadcast from the right, we switch you now to Germany. Hello, NBC. This is Charles Lanius in Berlin. Enemy bombers made another flight to Berlin during the night. The Germans report that light forces of enemy planes, presumably Soviet, attempted what is called a totally unsuccessful raid on the northeastern part of the Reich. They say that only two of the machines succeeded in penetrating to the vicinity of Berlin, and the rest were forced back by well-directed German anti-aircraft fire. The Royal Air Force came in from the west, and the Germans say they dropped bombs on several localities in western Germany. According to reports here, only insignificant damage was caused, and the majority of the British aircraft were forced to turn back by German ground defenses. For the first time in a good many months, the Germans failed to fly to England. At least there are no reports of German activities over the island here so far today. News from the east is scarce again today, but a report from the southern end of the front states that the Germans, with their allies are advancing towards the shores of the Black Sea. Another message tells how, uh, between the Odessa and Okhotsk, the German Air Force bombed and sank six Russian vessels, three of them patrol boats and three troop transports. The troop transports totaled 18,800 tons, and according to the Germans, were sunk when the Russians tried to remove troops from an area along the Black Sea, which had been surrounded by German soldiers. The Germans and their allies are said to have come in so fast that escape by the sea was the only way out for the Red Unit. One of the vessels was a 10,000-tonner. The other two were smaller. The German Air Force is still blasting away at Soviet positions and troop concentrations in the Ukraine, and the Germans say that at one point, 180 motor vehicles, including a large number of tanks, were destroyed. The heaviest air attack seems to have been carried out in the central Ukraine, and there the Germans report the Russians lost heavily in men and materials. There are no reports whatever from the central part of the front today. In the far north, the Germans and Finns are said to be making progress, but no details are given. German authorities are working hard to stamp out food profiteering and illicit food trading, particularly of products which are rationed here in Germany. This is revealed in an announcement that a state action against nearly 350 Germans living in the vicinity of Plon in Saxony ended with the passing of a death sentence on the leader of a widespread organization of illegal food dealers. The condemned man, 43-year-old Ernest Albig, 
was accused of falsifying orders for margarine and other ration fats, thereby obtaining 75,000 pounds of beef fat and 175 pounds of margarine, which he sold at exorbitant prices. The hearing took 90 days before a special court at Leipzig, during which time more than 200,000 marks, or roughly $80,000, was collected in fines. Many of the people involved got long prison sentences for complicity. In Hamburg, Gauleiter Kaufmann, a prominent party member, told a group of high national socialist officials that the present war with Russia was the fiercest fight Germany has had up to date. He complained that although most people recognize the work done by the party, there are still some who don't realize the true aims of the party. He asked all party officials to work hard at conquering the hearts of the people and warned them that special attention should be paid to those who prattle and spread rumors. The Gauleiter added that everything possible has been done to ensure German supplies for the coming winter and stated there would be sufficient quantities of coal and potatoes for everyone. The holiday season is in full swing here in Germany. Today, the people are asked not to make trips to mountain and seaside resorts and other recreational localities. The reason for the request is that these places are now already overcrowded. From Holland comes a report to General Christensen, German military commander in the Netherlands, has issued another warning to the Dutch population not to give any assistance to members of the crews of enemy warplanes shot down over Dutch territory. The general decreed that people who hide members of the enemy's armed forces or who destroy parts of wrecked British airplanes will be severely punished, and that if the offense is grave enough, the death penalty will be inflicted. Today, German patrol boats are given credit for sinking a 6,000-ton British merchant ship from the English Channel during the night. But no air attacks on British shipping are reported here so far. This is Charles Lanius in Berlin. I now return you to NBC in New York. In just a moment, we'll call in London. But first, let's read the latest Russian communique received in New York. Moscow. Hard-pressed on both flanks... The Red Army was reported today fighting fiercely against two Nazi nutcracker movements, one around Leningrad in the north and the second near Kiev in the Ukraine. The Daily War Bulletin declared the Russians still held the Nazis stalemated on the central road to Moscow in the long-contested Smolensk salient. No major engagements took place in other directions and sectors of the front, the midday communique said. The centers of fighting in the north were listed as Kakalsalmi, on the Karelian Isthmus, 75 miles north of Leningrad, and in the Solsty sector, 120 miles south of Russia's second largest city. Key battle zones in the south still were given by the Russians as Korstein, 80 miles northwest of Kiev, and Uman, midway between the Ukraine capital and the big Black Sea port of Odessa. And that's what the Russians have to say today, and here is a bulletin just received from Vichy, unoccupied France. It has been learned that increased powers for Vice Premier Jean Darlin will be announced in a special edition of the official journal today. And now we'll hear the news reported direct from London. This is John McVeigh in London. This morning, observers on the English coast reported our waves of RAF planes crossing the channel in what was evidently a daylight sweep over northern France. The RAF last night bombed Krefeld, Ryde, and Minkengladbach in Germany. American-built Havocs, fighter bombers, attacked many German aerodromes in northern France and Holland. Fires were started, and it's just possible that the raids were the reason that no bombs fell on Britain last night. 
Only one British plane crossed the British coast during the night. Only one German plane. If the German air units in the West have been stripped to reinforce the units working against Russia, it seems to many observers here that Britain may have her best chance of starting some sort of offensive against the German-held occupied territories. Why Britain hasn't already made some gesture and offensive to reassure Russia is something that only those who govern British military plans know. At the moment, Russia is taking the full weight of German land and air attack. And in spite of that, she's been able to strike back with night raids as far as Berlin. Authoritative quarters in London today, summing up the Russian situation, think it probable that small German mechanized forces have reached a point 70 miles from Nikolaev in the Ukraine. These forces seem to be self-supported. At the same time, the Germans are keeping up strong pressure on the Russians and have probably crossed the upper reaches of the Dniester and may be moving eastward. For a good many women in Britain, the biggest news today is that baby clothes are going to be rationed. Up to now, clothing for children under four has been coupon-free. Expectant mothers are given 50 clothing coupons to lay in a supply of baby clothes. In addition, babies born and registered before the end of November will receive 40 clothing coupons. Those born in December, January, and February will get 30, and spring babies will get only 20. In the next ration year, babies will get the same number of clothing coupons as their fathers and mothers, 66 for the year. The number of coupons that have to be given up for baby clothing varies from six for an overcoat to a third of a coupon for a bib. With the low in news here, political writers are going in for some speculation. For instance, the political correspondent of the Labour Party's newspaper, The Daily Herald, predicts that Mr. Montague Norman, the white-bearded governor of the Bank of England, won't retire this fall when he reaches the age of 70, the age when, according to the bank's rules, officials do retire. The labor writer says that plans are being made to allow Mr. Norman to go on holding down his present job because of the bank's fear of the financial policies of Mr. J.M. Keynes, who now holds a powerful position in the Treasury. You remember that Mr. Keynes has for a long time been one of Britain's most famous but most unorthodox financial experts. During the war, he has exerted great influence on Britain's financial policies. One of the plans he fathered was the idea of compulsory savings so that after the war, Families would have their savings to act as a cushion between war economy and peace economy. Well, the Daily Herald thinks that Mr. Norman and his supporters see danger to vested interests in the increasing power of Mr. Keynes, and they intend to keep Mr. Norman in office to conduct a counteroffensive against the Keynes' theories of finance. Another labor report is that Lord Levers, the recently appointed Minister of Transport, has prevented for the time being the development of a government plan to take over the British railroads. It's reported that Colonel Moore Brabazon, his predecessor as Minister of Transport, was convinced that unification of Britain's railroads under government control was necessary. The Colonel is said to have drawn up plans for such a move, and Cabinet approval was about to be given to it. At the last minute, Colonel Moore Brabazon went to the Aircraft Ministry, and Lord Leathers took over the job. The Daily Herald says that Lord Leathers did away with a scheme for public ownership of the railroads and substituted a plan under which the government rents the railroads for wartime use but leaves the financial and administrative control intact. Labor rights call a new arrangement an armistice, but not a final settlement. This is John McBain in London, returning you to the National Broadcasting Company in New York. In New York this morning, authoritative London quarters are quoted as saying, if Japan wants war in the Pacific, there will be war. If she wants peace, there will be peace. And that's the latest news of the war. For another on-the-spot broadcast, but this time inside our own borders, we take you to Earl Godwin, 
speaking from the newsroom in Washington. And good morning to everybody. There is every indication that this government is going to be tough and tougher toward its own people in the interests of the defense program. The sudden proposed curtailment of your installment buying, which is indicated in the president's order to the Federal Reserve Board, is aimed at diverting several hundred million, nay, several billion dollars worth of material annually from household use to defense manufacture, and also is a part of the scary attitude of government economists at the tremendously accelerated buying they fear inflation. The American public is beginning to feel the increase in payrolls and is spending at a terrific rate. Too much spending, so these wise economists here in Washington believe. And so, while the Banking and Currency Committee of the House is slowly and thoroughly interrogating price fixer Henderson, on the proposed federal law to control prices and divert materials, the Federal Reserve Board will be at work this next few days to find out just how the reserve system, which is the great fountain of credit here in this country, can ration its credit so as to prevent a runaway business in automobiles, washing machines, refrigerators, vacuum cleaners, everything that you buy at a dollar down, a dollar a week, and all that. It's a ticklish job. The board apparently is not going to try any severe crackdown, but will watch business carefully to test reactions. Mariner Eccles, who is chairman of the Federal Reserve Board, thus becomes a sort of a czar in the realm of credit for the installment business, but business will be given 30 days to become adjusted, says Eccles, and banks, personal loan companies, department stores, automobile companies, and other credit agencies also are subject to credit restriction under the board's vast new powers because, in his executive order, the president directed the Federal Reserve System to draw up a set of controls under an old World War statute that had been hanging around since 1918. This law provides penalties as high as 10 years imprisonment and $10,000 fines for violations. And you might say that's tougher than any installment credit manager ever thought of for his folks. And while the government is reaching into your household budget, the Senate Finance Committee appears ready to lower the tax exemptions to 750 for single folks, $1,500 for married couples. And on the House side of the Capitol, after frantic 48 hours, the administration leaders believe they have now just about enough votes to pass the bill extending the time of draftees in camp to two and a half years in all. They will not even attempt to extend it for an indefinite period. Diplomats in our own foreign service who have the delicate task of dealing with Japan pin their faith in the good, strong extension of the draft. They say unofficially that this government's success with Japan depends on maintaining a good, strong, tough military front. Incidentally, we are prepared to match Japan's aggressive steps, and Japan is prepared to go the limit. And that's the situation, unsatisfactory it is at this hour, and that's all from Washington at this time. Thank you, Earl Godwin. That report from our own capital, ladies and gentlemen, completes our roundup of news broadcasts this morning. We heard from our own reporters in Berlin and London. For the latest news, keep tuned to this station. This is the National Broadcasting Company.